This morning is Sunday, February 22nd. Uh, we're going to look at some things in the life of Daniel this morning. Uh, if you're taking notes, there are going to be three, three real points here. That One is the world is certain that God's way can't work. I'm sure you've heard that before, uh, that the principles, the ideas of Christianity are neat, but that they don't work. That you could never live that way in a business world. That you could never actually carry those things out. I know you all have heard that before. I have since the day I was born again. Second point is, the ways of God are a mystery to the world. The second part of that second point is, but our revealing them brings light and life. So the first one is the world is certain that God's way can't work. The second is the ways of God are a mystery to the world, but our revealing them brings light and life. Then the third, and there's no poem, so no jokes about three points in a poem here. The third is uh, falsely accused and having the sentence of death it's the very best way for God to be glorified in His people. You'd never guess that, would you? That to be falsely accused and on death row is the best way that you could glorify God. And yet we see this over and over and over in the Scripture. It's when the sentence of death is in your heart. It's when it looks like you're for sure going to die, and usually for something that you've not done wrong, that God ultimately gets glory. What I think is funny about that is we spend our whole life trying to avoid each one of these these positions, you know, uh, having to do it God's way, uh, the mysteries of the kingdom, and the suffering that's involved. We we run from those. All right, y'all can turn to Daniel one. You remember that last Sunday we talked a little bit about being humble, sitting at the foot of the table until Jesus moves you to the head, and how. God abases the proud. And we looked at Miriam and Aaron and how they opposed Moses, but Moses did not defend himself um, and leaving room for God's judgment. Some of those same themes will carry into this week. Okay, It's all right if you all speak or look up at me every now and then. Okay, in Daniel 1... We're going to start with some really familiar stories to look at these points, okay? In Daniel 1, starting in verse 3, Then the king ordered Aspenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring in some of the Israelites from the royal families and the nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. Where is he bringing in these people from? What's the book of Daniel about? Israelites are going into exile, starting somewhere around 605. Nebuchadnezzar marched against Jerusalem and began carrying off Jews. Uh, the Babylonian captivity, most people date starting in 586, and then you subtract 70 years from that so that they're coming out in about 516. But Ezekiel prophesied about this. Daniel, the book takes place during this time period. Jeremiah prophesied about it ahead of time. Um, Hosea prophesied ahead of time about it. A, A great deal of the Old Testament revolves right around this time period. And the reason is, God is using one name, even Amos, the little book of Amos, not famous Amos cookies, but Amos the book, it's, it's about a, uh, a guy who's, who's perplexed. He's saying, you know, Lord, you're going to judge your people. I'm hearing that in the Spirit. But you're going to use wicked people to judge them? I, I don't understand. God comforted him with the fact that not only was he going to use the wicked people to judge his, he was then going to judge the wicked people for judging them. Isn't that crazy? The majority of the Old Testament revolves around the time period building up to this point. And then it kind of culminates in this. And then all you have are futuristic promises after that. But Daniel, the really important thing to get here is 
this time period is a time period where their hopes are crushed. Their dreams are broken. They have seen their temple and their nation cease to exist. This would be like if we were conquered by a foreign uh, nation and the United States ceased to exist. But you're still trying to hang on to the old ways. Like, you're still telling people that there should be a freedom to assemble, that there should be the freedom of speech, that you should have a right to bear arms. And everybody around you would have the temptation to say, man, you just need to get with it. That was the old way. That, that was crushed. It was defeated. Now there's a new way. Do you understand the despair that could be in a Jew's heart? Having seen the temple that represented God's presence crushed and all the articles brought off and put in, in temples to foreign gods. I mean, are you all with me on that at all? I mean, can you imagine that a Muslim nation came and conquered us tomorrow and that you were no longer allowed to go to church, you were no longer allowed to read a Bible, you were no longer allowed to uh, show any kind of real sincere love for Jesus and how that might cause despair to set in? Okay, well, that's the position these guys could be in. And these are young men without physical defect. These are young men that uh, are supposed to be qualified to serve in the king's palace. It says, he was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. Some people might call that re-education. You know, they did that in communist China. They, you know, uh, re-education camps are part of any dictatorship or any monarchy that conquers another country. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that they were to enter the king's service. I think it's just interesting that that kind of stuff shows up all over the Bible. You think it's a mistake that three years of training and then they enter the king's service? You know, the apostles received three years of training and then they entered the king's service. Jesus had a three-year public ministry. I'm not teaching that that's a shadow and type. It's just that these people's whole way of life was supposed to change in three years so that they could enter the king's service. Among these were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. These are three, actually four Hebrew names that mean beautiful things. If you look them up in Hebrew, they mean beautiful things. Then, listen what happens. The chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, the name Belshazzar. To Hananiah, Shadrach. To Mishael, Meshach. And to Azariah, Abednego. All of these relate to Babylonian gods. So not only have you been conquered, carried off, your whole way of life destroyed, you taken from your homeland, but then you're going to be renamed something that's insulting to you. Somebody showed up. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. Why would it be defiling him to take the royal food and wine? Why would that be defiling? Anybody on the right side of the room? Why would that be defiling? Okay, we'll wait. What would be defiling to a Jew about eating with Babylonians? It's unclean. That's right. The way that it's prepared is unclean. The kind of food that it was was unclean. Uh, Daniel, he's making a choice here, guys. And this, is, this, this brings us to our point. The world is certain that the ways of God won't work. What did the ways of God dictate to these four young Hebrews that they had to do? The ways of God said that they had to keep a Levitical law, that they had to keep a Mosaic dietary covenant. Now, how hard would that be? Your whole priesthood, you saw conquered. The king of your nation had his eyes put out right after he saw his sons die. And then he was brought in chains to Babylon. You were carried away from your homeland. All of those things. But you're still going to try to follow these old laws for a nation that doesn't exist anymore. Could that be a, a hard stand to take? Do you think that there were people around that wanted to say, Hey, come on, Daniel. 
Get with the program, man. I mean, isn't it obvious God's not into that anymore? In our lives, when God gives us a promise and He tells us to do something, we hang on to it. We, uh, we strive for it. But how many of you have stood in these kind of ashes and hung to the promise? You know, what we tend to do is say, now God never really said that. We must have been wrong. I want you to begin to admire the strength which Jan- Daniel begins to show here. It, and not just Daniel, but, but these other people. His whole way of life has come to an end. And yet, here he is honored, uh, willing to be one of these serving in the king's court. All he would have to do is go with the program here. All he would have to do is not cause trouble. And he's going to eat the finest food, drink the finest wine, and be treated like one of the king's uh, courtiers. Oh, how do you say that? Courtiers. And here he is. He's got a religious objection. Have you ever been in a business setting where all you had to do was just kind of keep your mouth shut and you might receive a bonus, you might receive a blessing. If you could just sit there, things would be all right. But something deep in you began to stir and said, you know, that's not right. I can't do this. The world is certain that God's ways will not work. And listen to what they tell him. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. Is that where we're at? Uh, Daniel 1. Daniel 1, 9. Now, God had caused the official to show favor and sympathy to Daniel. Okay, that's a good thing. God can give you favor wherever you are. But here comes the punchline. But the official told Daniel, I am afraid of my lord the king who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. The king's decided to invest his food, his wine, in the people. Now what obstinance, what arrogance these young Jews are going to show to say, no, king, you know what? We know better than you do. The food that you want us to eat, not going to do it. Okay. In fact, what we want are some vegetables and water. Now, Proverbs had taught these young men that it's better to have vegetables with the righteous than meat with the wicked. Has anybody in here read those Proverbs? So the Word of God was on their side. And the official is favorably disposed towards Daniel. He likes him. He says, it's kind of like, Mandy, I, I know you're right. Jan, I know you're right. And I like you. But, geez, can't you just conform like everybody else? Because the king's going to hold me accountable if you don't do right. What pressure this must have been on this young man. Daniel then said to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for ten days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food. Now, think about this. We've got four boys here who are not. You think they were the only four exiles? He said, now go get a bunch of young men from among the exiles. So not only is the whole way of life crushed and all of those things, but all the other Jews are conforming. And they're conforming to obtain the favor of the people around them. This is like, well, Eric's a Christian and Jen's a Christian and Gary's a Christian and they're all doing it. But you know in your spirit you can't. And yet everybody around you is bending to the will of the world. And the royal official likes you. If you'll just hang in there, he'll he'll make sure you're all right. He's begging you. Please don't put me in a position to have to kill you. Could you bend and buckle to that? I could. He asked for a test, a ten-day test. This was bold. This was full of faith. Daniel was certain that God would support him if he was with God. Not many people know it, but the Scripture says God's with you when you're with Him. You know... Even the principles taught to Joshua as he was going to take Jericho. Are you for us or for our enemies? He asked the angel of the Lord. He said, neither. But as commander of the Lord's host, I've now come. God is about his principles. 
you can get on board with them or not. We've taught that many times before. Daniel was certain that if he honored God's principles, if he did what God told him to do, in the end it would be better for him. Even though natural reasoning would say, now vegetables and water, you're going to look more peaked, you're going to have uh, a problem compared to those that get to eat all of the royal food. His peers have bailed out on him. His nation has ceased to exist. The king's official who he has favor with is begging him not to. And yet he stands. This is a model for us. The world is certain God's ways will not work. He says, oh yeah, we'll watch my life and see if God's ways don't work. Is this not the model of a Christian? What you are supposed to be is a beacon of light to the people that are around you that are certain you cannot live like a Christian in the business world. That stuff may work for other people, but there's no way you can turn the other cheek in a business setting. Have you ever heard anything like that? I have. You are supposed to be the people that say, hey, hey, watch my life for a period of time. See if it doesn't work. Your lives are supposed to prove to people that the ways of God do work. Not by what you say, but by the things that God accomplishes in you. Come on, y'all, that's good. Please test your servant for ten days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for ten days. This is no different than two people going to their boss and saying, he wants to, to do this in a manner that I think is deceitful, that is wicked. I want to do it in a godly fashion. Let's do it in a godly fashion and you watch and see if God doesn't, doesn't favor us. If it doesn't work after 30 days, then you can go do it the devil's way. You know, what boldness. That really is how it should be. We really should be willing for the world to examine us to see if God's ways work. Sometimes we are too quick to cave to the pressure of those around us. All these other Hebrews did. At the end of the ten days they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate at the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. The world is certain that God's ways won't work. But if you're willing to be put on display for the world, God will use you like a model home. And He will show, no, my design does work. My layout is beneficial. If you will follow my plan then it will succeed. That's what we're supposed to be on display before the world to show. The end result when we do that is God gives us understanding. He gives us wisdom. And do you hear that last little part? Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. Why do you think the other Hebrews didn't get that? Why do you think that out of all the young Hebrew exiles, these four are the only four that are being blessed? They're the only four that aren't conforming to the standards of the world. These people were given the opportunity to go become somebody great in the kingdom of the world. All they had to do was play by the world's rules. The devil offered Jesus this. He stood there and offered him all the kingdoms of the world if he would just play by the devil's rules. Jesus knew something, something that I suspect Daniel knew as well. He's going to get them anyway. All he has to do is play by God's rules. The world will always offer you a quick, easy solution. Always. Just do this and you'll be rewarded. God is a much longer term solution, but a much greater reward. Y'all with me? You awake at all in here today? There most certainly were, but evidently not four in the court. You know. Okay. We're going to move on to Daniel 2. The first is the world is certain that the ways of God can't work, but if you're willing to allow yourself to be tested and on display for the world, they begin to see that they do work. 
The second is, the ways of God are a mystery to the world, but our revealing them brings light and life. What happens in Daniel 2? Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. Now, the last time we really saw dreams and interpretations of, not really the last time, but the last story that most people will remember is Joseph, right? When Joseph went to the Pharaoh, what, what did he have to do? He said, Pharaoh, uh, tell me your dream and I'll give you the interpretation. Well, that's not good enough for Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar says, I want you to tell me my dream and the interpretation. You know, that could be pretty difficult to do. If Dad says, hey, I had a dream. There was this stadium and there were these 11 players. And uh, what do you think that means? Well, you know, Dad, I, I think that probably has something to do with football. Well, when you're given the information up front, you could make something up. You could do a lot of things. But if I have no idea what his dream was, I literally have to hear from God what God told him and then what God says about it. It's pretty, pretty powerful. In fact, the wise men, and I use that term loosely, Daniel was considered an astrologer, by the way, a wise man, a magician. He was counted in their number. That's another thing. We're so offended if people group us in with sinners, you know. We're so offended if people think we're, you know, uh, anything other than pristine and, and holy. Well, it was a compliment in, in their day. But to a Jew, it was not a compliment. And yet Daniel was among them, but doing holy things. Isn't that interesting? In fact, he was chief among them. Uh, but those wise men, in uh, verse 10... Of chapter 2. The astrologers answered the king, There is not a man on earth who can do what the king asks. No king, however great and mighty, has ever asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or astrologer. What the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal to the king except the gods, and they do not live among men. Boy, doesn't that sound like worldly thinking? I mean, nobody could do that. You'd have to be a god, and we know there's none of that around here. Even among Christians, you hear that. Oh, you'd have to be God to know that. Like He hasn't given you His Spirit so that He can reveal His mind to you. I remember I was in a denominational church one time, and they would say things like, well, only God could do that. <laughs> yeah, and we're His body. You know? Why do we act like in the church that, oh, well, only God could do that. He's empowered you to do it. Anything He wants done on the earth today, He will use you to do. Anything. The Bible says that He delivered Israel out of Egypt. And yet He used a man named Moses to do it. The Bible says that He split the Red Sea. And yet it was Moses who, who prayed and put a staff out there. They say, oh, can't be done. You'd have to be a God to do that. Well, that's, that's great. That problem sets up a solution. In Daniel 2, starting in verse 24. This is after Daniel hears, oh, incidentally, all of the uh, astrologers, the wise men, the magicians, they have the sentence of death in their heart because the, the king says, you have to tell me what my dream was and you have to interpret it. If you can't do that, I'm going to kill you. They said, no, look, nobody can do that. They go out to begin to gather these people together, Arioch does, to kill all of these people. When he comes across Daniel, Daniel says, wait, wait, let me pray to the God that's above every God and see if I can get this for you. Okay? Then we pick up in verse 24. Then Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to execute the wise men of Babylon, and said to him, do not execute the wise men of Babylon. Take me to the king, and I will interpret the dream for him. Arioch took Daniel to the king at once and said, I have found a man among the exiles from Judah who can tell, who can tell the king what his dream means. The king asked Daniel, also called Belshazzar, Are you able to tell me what I saw in my dream and interpret it? Boy, you talk about your faith on the line here. No way to confirm it. Nobody that he could go talk to to make him feel better. But look where God has placed him. He's in the middle of a position here 
where everybody that knows him, all of his peers are going to be put to death because they don't understand the mysteries of God. They all have the sentence of death. Is this beginning to sound familiar? The world has got upon it the sentence of death because they don't understand the mysteries of God. But those mysteries have been revealed to you upon whom the fulfillment of the ages has come. So you are in a unique position to be able to share with the world the mystery of God and save their lives. That's the very position Daniel's in, just on a smaller scale. It's in the kingdom of Babylon. Y'all understand what I'm saying? Daniel replied. Now the king says, can you interpret it? You know what I would have said if I believe I had it? Yes, yes. And I'd have done it right then. But listen how Daniel talks to it. Daniel replied, no wise man, enchanter, magician, or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he is asked about. <laughs> you know? No, that's, that's, you know, I might have come in and said, oh, great king, you know, oh, high lifted up gold head guy, you know, I, uh, I can do it. You know, don't, don't worry, you know, keep your sword put away. Don't anybody hurt anybody. But he didn't. He said, nobody can do what you're asking. He's including himself in that number. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. So what you're asking a human being can't do. Now, isn't that the same conclusion the other magicians came to? But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. He has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in days to come. Your dream and the visions that pass through your mind as you lay on your bed are these. As you were lying there, O king, your mind turned to the things to come and the revealer of mysteries showed you what is going to happen. As for me, the mystery has been revealed to me, not because I have greater wisdom than other living men, but so that you, O king, may know the interpretation that you may understand what went through your mind. Guys, the whole world, the ways of God, is a mystery to them. And you have had that mystery revealed to you in the man Jesus. That's not because you're better than any other man. It's just because you were appointed to be a part of the task force that helps reveal these mysteries to the rest of the world. See, Daniel didn't stand there and say, Oh, yeah, I understand it, O king. None of your wise men do because they are not good men. I'm trying not to use that S-U-C-K word. Uh, Because they're bad. But I can do it. He didn't take the opportunity to be lifted up there. What does the world say? You know, I heard Donald Trump say it a couple times in the last few weeks on his TV show. You know, if you don't speak up for yourself, you don't defend yourself, then you, you won't make it. And so he threw these people off of his show. Does Daniel do that? Not at all. He takes a position of humility and says, nobody. Don't, don't, don't kill those wise men. There's nobody out there that can do this except God because he reveals mysteries. But he has revealed it to me. Not because I'm better than anybody, but because that's the kind of God he is. And he wants you to know. That is the attitude of a Christian who's presenting salvation to the world. He said, I've received this revelation from God. I know who Jesus is. He's my friend and I'm in him. But that's not because I'm better than you. It's just because he wants to share this with me so that I can help reveal it to you. Because ultimately, He wants this revealed to everyone. I just got it before you did. Now, what does the world think? When you've witnessed to Christians, when you've come across people that have not fell in love with Jesus yet, usually what they think of Christians is those people think they're better than me. They're good. I'm bad. You know, the only way you ever hear it expressed is they think they're going to heaven while they think I'm going to hell. Well, we could learn something from Daniel here. His whole way of life been destroyed. The whole priesthood decimated. His nation had gone to hell in a handbasket. And yet, he's still standing there willing to serve God when nobody around him is. And not only that, he does it in humility, without pride. So that he understands something that the king of the whole world doesn't know. And he doesn't take the opportunity to brag on himself. He doesn't lift himself up in any way. He takes the humble position of God reveals mysteries to men. 
He revealed it to me, and I'll tell you because He wants you to know. And Him. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because the king said that the other wise men were trying to deceive Him. Now, think about this. Well, this is a lesson for me. You know who the other wise men are here? I mean, in the, in the analogy? It's all the people out there that are in foreign religions. Whether or not you include some of the denominations is up to you. But I'm talking about foreign religions. When we're talking to people, and we're talking about Buddhist, and we're talking about Islam, and we're talking about Krishnas, and whoever else there may be in this crazy world, we need to take the attitude, now, they're wrong. And bless their hearts, it's not their fault. The revealer of mysteries has not made himself known to them yet. But he has me. Not because I'm wiser than them, but because God favored me. And here, I want to share it with you. It's not that they should all just be put to death or die. And isn't that the attitude we usually show towards all the cults? You know? Let's burn them, God. Can we call down fire on them? You know? Let's have... Those 450 stand over there. We'll stand over here. You know, draw your swords. Put them to death. Listen to Daniel's attitude. But you know why he's able to be that way? Boy, had he been in a position of humility, his whole way of life had come undone. He's a young man at this time, too. You know, you think Daniel had a rough childhood? Could he find all kinds of reasons to have a chip on his shoulder? But he didn't. He chose to serve God. So the ways of God are a mystery to the world, but our revealing them brings light and life. We're not done with that. I want you to see what the result is. What the world always tells you is if you do it God's way, you will fail. You can't do that. You'll end up broke. You can't do that. You'll end up with no friends. You can't do that. You'll end up dead. Always the ways of God to the world end in failure. Now, the first example, if you eat that, those uh, vegetables and water and don't eat the choice food, you're going to cause me to get killed and I'll have to kill you too. Because we know the end result will be you'll look worse than the other young men. But did they? Not only did they not, they looked better. And then God added to them a special understanding and revelation. Now, in this case, should if you, you can't do that. If you go claim to be able to interpret the dream and you get it wrong, we're all going to die. Always you're set up to the ways of God will not work. And listen to how the end result is. Daniel 2, verse 45. This is after the dream's been interpreted. This is the meaning of the vision. The rock cut out of a mountain, but not by human hands. A huge rock that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, and the silver... And the gold to pieces. And you know that Jesus breaking the nations to pieces. The kingdoms that would rule the earth. The great God has shown the king what will take place in the future. The dream is true and the interpretation is trustworthy. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell prostrate before Daniel and paid him honor and ordered that an offering and incense be presented to him. The king said to Daniel, Surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries. For you were able to reveal this mystery. Then the king placed Daniel in a high position and lavished many gifts on him. He made him ruler over the entire providence of Babylon and placed him in charge of all of its wise men. Moreover, at Daniel's request, the king appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego administrators over the provenance of Babylon, while Daniel himself remained at the royal court. Every time Daniel has been at the crossroads and he has chosen God's way as opposed to the world's way. I mean, think about it. When he saw Ariok coming and he heard about the decree, he could have just run. You know, he could have got out of Dodge. But every time he's come to that crossroad and he's chosen God's way, in the end, he ended up better off then has he chosen the natural and safest way? You know, it may be well and true that with the vegetables, if he had eaten the meat and drank the wine, he would have been safe and secure among all of those uh, other young men who did that. 
But he would have lost the favor of God. And he never would have gotten the wisdom and the understanding to be able to deliver everybody here. It could have been here in this situation where they're faced with the sentence of death that he could have run, he could have hid, he could have done whatever the other wise men were doing. But instead, what I didn't read you is he fell on his face before God and asked God to show him so that he could go save the lives of the people. And in the end, he ends up over all of them. You're faced continually in your life with the opportunity to do it the safe way, the way that the world says will work, or to do it God's way, a way that the world is certain will not work, and truthfully, you're uncertain whether it will work or not. And the way the devil works on you about that is he always says, are you sure that you heard? Are you sure that's what you're supposed to do? Wouldn't it be better for you to do it this way? Let's use wisdom here. I just love that. Let me give you a little bit of worldly wisdom here. You know what? I don't want it. I don't want it. I would rather go through life just looking like an inane buffoon, but following the will of God than to get all the worldly wisdom that there is out there. Now, Christians don't say worldly wisdom, so let me tell you what they do say so that you will know. Let me give you a little bit of practical advice. Can that be good? Sure it can. But if, if it conflicts with what God has already told you, practical advice is dung that needs to be thrown out and burned. And that's the nicest way I know to how to say that. And yet each of you will be in positions continually in your life where that is what is told to you. The people who tell you that, do they love you? Sure. Do they mean well? Sure. Absolutely. They're, like the world, convinced that whatever you believe is God's way will not work. Doesn't make them bad people, just makes them wrong. How many times have you set out to do something for God and nobody thought you could do it? In my life, it's been quite a few times. You know, does not mean that the people were bad people. Not at all. I can tell you, I made some choices when I was first born again that shook everybody who knew me. Whether that was getting married three months out of high school, oh no, that'll never work. You know, I. Out of all the people at my wedding, I'm not sure there was more than a handful that believed that it would work. And yet here we are, stronger than ever, raising godly children. You know, my career path, (laughs) you know, I don't think anybody, I don't think there's a person out there that was happy the day I said, God told me to drop out of Southeastern. Oh, God wouldn't tell you to do that. Let me give you a little bit of practical advice here, Eric. Even the people I was in church with at the time told me the best I could do in life would be to go buy a mower, put it in the back of my $1,500 pickup, and cut grass in the country club of Louisiana. Okay? Those are the people I was going to church with. But that's not God. That was not God's will for my life. And I had a choice to try to do it the world's way or to try to do it God's way. I haven't always gotten that right. I'm just telling you about the times I I, I did get it right. In the end, had I gone through, if I'd waited a few years to get married, if I had completed school, if I'd done all of those things, I don't think I would be where I am today. I don't think I'd be as blessed as I am today. It tickles me that I I watched this job that Matthew got. If Matthew had been in school for four years uh, and had just started working after that, and was now trying to gain the experience that he needed, Matthew would not be within $30,000 of the income that they just offered him. He followed God's plan for his life instead of what the world said was acceptable. Now, the really neat thing, though, the world's certain that God's way won't work, and yet when we're allowed to be put on display, put it to the test, they begin to see that it is. Also, the ways of God that are a mystery to the world As they're revealed, it brings life. As I begin to share with people my testimony, as I begin to share, no, you're not condemned just because you haven't done things the way that the world does, to something that's meager. God can exalt you. He can lift you up. As I begin to share that, it brings life to people. As you share the revelation God has given you, and you've stood the test, and God's favor is upon you, People will see life in you. We're going to look at the third thing here. Turn to Daniel 3. 
I was up all night. I worked all day yesterday, all day the day before. And I know there could be a tendency to just scoot through this Sunday like, you know, I mean, next Sunday p will be here. From then on, we'll have worship. We'll have all of those things. So maybe this Sunday's not as important. Y'all, this word's no less applicable to your life than any other word we've ever preached. And the fact that there's just a handful here doesn't make it any less important. I'm certain God gave us this. You need to do your best to soak this up, to absorb it. And if it steps on your toes, it should. It steps on mine. We need to reform the way that we think, the way that we do things, and make it godly. And if you think you're already there, come on, y'all. Let's take an honest look at the last few years of our lives. We're not. We're not. We're not on the place where we would step out of the boat and walk on the water and not have a problem. We're in the place where we might do it for a little while, but when the storms are beating around us, we'd begin to sink and yell, Jesus, save us. We need to grow in our faith. More than growing in our faith, we need to grow in the application of our faith. And that's what I'm teaching on here. That's why Wednesday we talked about uh, a faith that moves mountains. Daniel 3, we're going to start in verse 8. And this final point is, when you're falsely accused and you have a sentence of death in your heart, that's the best way for people to see God glorified. Daniel 3, verse 8. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar has issued a decree at the prompting of all of the wise men. He said, hey, since Daniel said I'm this head of gold on this statue, man, since my kingdom is the best kingdom that's ever ruled the planet, since mine's the first one that's ruled the whole planet, I'm going to make a statue that's gold of me. And everybody's got to bow down to it. Boy, isn't that the arrogance of man? That's all right. I think old Neb gets saved later. It's just my opinion, but... Verse 8, at this time some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. Isn't that interesting? Why? Why would you denounce the Jews? Because they've been elevated. Man, he hit it on the head. I was expecting all kinds of other answers, you know, because they're Jews, because they're different, because they're foreigners. Now, it's because these Jewish boys who never did it the world's way, only did it God's way, had been elevated to be above... All of the Babylonians. Now, if you're a Babylonian royalty and some conquered people that, you know, were supposed to be your slaves were ruling over you, that could kind of tick you off, huh? You know, I find out that if I'm humble in my, my work positions, God always elevates me. It happens to every company I've ever been in. And it's funny the kind of arrows that you get from other people, maybe that have been there longer, all those things. They're upset that you don't fight, that you don't act in a worldly way. You don't backbite, you don't gossip, you don't do all of those things. They don't like that. And so they see you're being elevated. They don't recognize that it's because you don't do those things. And what do they do? They backbite and gossip towards you even more. Now, we're children of Abraham. When people bless us, they're blessed. When they curse us, they're cursed, provided you act like Abraham. At this time, some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. Now, isn't that different than the way Daniel approached the king? <laughs> you know, Daniel didn't come butter him up and all those things. He said, King, nobody can do what you want to do, but God can. These guys approach Neb and they say, oh, uh, King, live forever. You know, yeah, you're great. Love your statue, by the way. And uh, hey, you're an immortal. <laughs> oh, King, live forever. You have issued a decree, O King, that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, pipes, and all kinds of music must fall down and worship the image of gold. And that whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the providence of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, O king. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. Get that. You know? Neb thought enough of them to set them over everything. But now that all of his subjects are saying, man, they don't show any respect for you. They're not doing what you said. Yeah. 
Well, he may not have met these three. Yeah, that's a good question. I don't know. Because uh, it was Daniel who got him appointed. That, that's true. But, but get this. They're doing a good job. Everything's going good. It's just when these people begin to incite the king. Oh, they don't show respect for you when they do that. You know, I had a woman at work telling my boss, I had a dream the other night that Eric was really a traitor. And, you know, that this whole time he's been feeding information to our enemies in business. And I thought, you know, I know where, I know where your dream came from. Was it any surprise to find out she was a Jehovah's Witness? You know, no, it wasn't. Not, not at all. And you know what? Here we are a few years later. She backbit. She gossiped. She did everything she could do to ruin my reputation at business. You know who's still there and who's not? Hmm. You stick with God. Do it God's way. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Now when you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, or lyre, the harp, the pipes, and all kinds of music, if you're ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you'll be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. Most Christians that you know, at this point, if they didn't bow down and worship it, which... I'm convinced 75% of everybody that is in an evangelical church today would. But if they didn't, would at least be kicking the ground, spitting, mad, throwing their hands up in the air. Now, God, I've served you. Why am I in this position? You know, I thought I was going to be blessed. You know, what did I do to get in this position? Then about half the other people would be going, oh, well, it's because, you know, you did this and you did that and the backbiting that would ensue would be unbelievable. When the real Spirit of Christ is in you and you face huge opposition, when what you face is the sentence of death upon you, you go, wow, here's an opportunity for God to be glorified. So it looks like I'm going to be crushed. It looks like I'm going to lose everything. It looks like when I put my faith on the line that I'm a huge failure. Oh, it must be that God is going to come through big time and everybody will see it. That's what the Spirit of Christ in you should rise up in you to say. Not tuck your tail. Not shrink back. That's what Hebrews is teaching. We're not shrinkers. And yet the temptation will always be there. It will be there every time you try to do anything for God. When I was little, I, was, I played football for a little... Uh, Peewee kind of thing. How old was I, y'all? You know? I mean, I was tiny. Ten? Nine? Nine, ten? And I had a coach that I thought was, well, truthfully, the guy was probably too intense for Peewee kids, you know? And I begged my parents to let me quit. And eventually I talked them into it, but they made me stay the course for a while. And somebody told me one time, and it, it made an impression on me, made me want to prove that that was not true about me. That they didn't like that I quit because it was a habit and I would become a quitter. Now, in me, that set a resolve to show that I would complete task. And truthfully, by the way, that story about the peewee thing, it's good that, that I was not in that. My parents did the right thing uh, for a lot of reasons that we just won't go into. But that put resolve in me to prove that I was not a quitter. In the kingdom, when you get to the threshold of faith, and it really requires you to suffer, requires you to look as if you're stupid, requires you to fail for the short term that you might see a greater success when God pulls you out of the miry clay, there is the opportunity to quit. And the problem with that is, when that happens... The next time you get there, what you're used to doing is quitting. I'm not trying to use something worldly to teach that. I'm just telling you that. that i give you an example. Do you think that the Baptist church, that nobody in it believes in healing? Of course they do. 
I've, I've been in a lot of Baptist churches where they believe in healing. Why do you think that it's such a rare occurrence that they pray for people in front of the church, though? Because when you pray and nothing happened, they took that as failure. After a while, they thought, you know, I don't think I want to keep praying for these people that are in wheelchairs and nothing happening in front of the church. It's discouraging. You know, pretty soon they, they think, well, why do you think nothing's happening? Then they go to the Word to justify it and they say, oh, all of those gifts have passed away to justify their failure. Now, I just used the Baptist church. We could use any for a lot. Of, and not that that's even technically precise, but it is a thought process that you understand. The same thing happens to us. When you step out in faith only to shrink back, and then you go look in the Word to try to justify it, you gather around yourself people to try to justify it, it makes it so much harder to succeed the next time because you're used to, to weaseling out of God's plan. I'm speaking from experience here, guys. Okay? So what you need to do is you firmly decide, and this, this is what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are fixing to do. You firmly decide regardless of the consequence. We know what God's able to do, but even if He doesn't do it, you need to know. We will not de- deviate from this course. That's the only way to see success in the kingdom. I, I'll be honest. There, there are times that I get stuff wrong. I mean, maybe I get it wrong most of the time. But once I have decided something, believing it to be God, I do not allow the other thoughts to participate with me anymore. Otherwise, I'm always caught in a limbo of was that really God or not. It's easiest just not to entertain the thought at all. Now, I know that there's a uh, also... You have to be correctable, and the Spirit has to be able to show you new vision and new things. I'm not saying that's not true. But just make sure, just make sure in our lives, it's one thing to get new vision and to be going to, to do something new because God showed you that. And it's quite another to change your mind every time the wind blows a certain way. Now, if that were not a problem, then James would not talk about it. Peter would not talk about it. Paul would not talk about it. It's been a problem since the very first day there was ever a Christianity. And you think, oh, well, it's only those people, you know, those flaky people. Now, it's every Christian I've ever known has faced this. I face it all of the time. And when you see it, you see somebody's perplexed. And they're trying to decide whether or not they have heard from God and they're doing the will of God. Well, whatever it is, make up your mind and do it. It would be better to try and to fail completely at it than to spend your whole life. I love the way Reinhard Bunker says this. He says, you pray and you discern the will of God. I'm going to run you over from behind while I do the will of God. In other words, to him, he prays. He says, all right, this is what I'm going to do. He doesn't deliberate it his whole life. And I think the guy's got pretty good success. That's the right kind of attitude. So let's just say you change your mind. All right? God said do this. Some time period goes by, you were wrong. That's okay. When you pick your new direction, run for it. Don't second guess it. Don't get three months down the road and go, well, I wonder if I shouldn't have changed direction. We need to be deliberate in our actions. Listen to how deliberate Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are here. Um, verse 15. Then what God will be able to rescue from my hand? This is uh, what Nebuchadnezzar said to them. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. That was last Sunday's teaching. They They didn't need to stand up and explain to Nebuchadnezzar why they were doing what they did. They just said, hey, We don't need to defend ourselves. God's going to defend us. Christians would do a whole lot better off to take that attitude. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it. And He will rescue us from your hand, O King. But even if He does not, we want you to know, O King, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. 
Sometimes you just need to look your problem in the face and say, my God is able to overcome you. But even if He does not, I still will not submit to you by turning and running away from you. Does that make sense? What if, what if David had walked out to face Goliath and he had said, you know what? God doesn't want me to get killed here. And this guy's obviously much bigger than me. God probably wants one of my older brothers to do this. Did God really send me? You know, I mean, we would not have any of the great stories of faith that we have in the Bible if people of God had not been deliberate about hearing from God. Your attitude needs to be, I believe God said this, but even if I got it wrong, I'm not going to back up from this. Because I believe God said do it. Now, it takes the same kind of faith that one day, when it's obviously not God's will, to change your direction and be just as deliberate about that. You have to almost be forgetful so that you aren't a flake. <laughs> you know? And, and that happens. <laughs> it, it most surely does. It used to bother me that a man of God that I sat under for years, you know, didn't seem to remember that a month earlier he had said something else was God. Well, he got it wrong, and so now he's going to pretend like that didn't even happen, and he's going to go a new direction. Sometimes you have to do that. But whatever it is that God's told you to do, do it deliberately, regardless of the consequence. And listen to the end result here. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And his attitude towards them changed. His attitude had been favorable before that, whether that's from David or because he... Not David. David mentioned it earlier. From Daniel or because uh, or he knew him. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. That's my favorite part. Anybody could tie the knots, right? But he got his strongest soldiers, his best soldiers to come tie the knots. Boy, he screwed up. So these men wearing the robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. <laughs> he lost his six best soldiers. <laughs> and these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, Weren't there three men we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, Certainly, O king. He said, Look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Now you find out later that the fourth is an angel. Incidentally, just Scripture in light of Scripture, this is how in Genesis 6 when it says the sons of Elohim are the sons of God, and we say they're angels. Sons of God, many times in the Bible, are angels. And here's a, a scripture that corroborates that. That was off the point, though. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, and the satraps, prefects, governors, and royal advisors crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their heads singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. Guys, this is what the Scripture says, that God will be with you in trouble and deliver you. We think that God delivers us by not putting us in the furnace. No, He allowed them to be in the furnace so that He could deliver them. So often Christians would get right to the door and then turn around and beg for their life or run away. God would never want us to die. How could we go witness to people? What if God wanted you in the ashes of life so that He could bring you out showing a bigger miracle? We thwart the will of God when we begin to, to insert the things that God never would do. How can God amaze anybody if we determine ahead of time what God would and would never do? And what gives us that right? We're supposed to have reverted back to an Adam and Eve-like stage before eating the knowledge of good and evil so that God tells us everything to do. 
That's, that's why the Scripture says as many as are led by the Spirit are the sons of God. And yet in all of our reasoning, we reason God right out. They didn't. Now, incidentally, they were delivered here. But if they weren't, what would be the end result for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? They'd receive glory, honor, and immortality. You know? There was, uh, you know, there's an honest moment there when they say God's able to deliver us, but even if He doesn't, we still won't do what you want us to. In other words, there was the possibility. Don't think of their faith as something that you've never experienced. Don't think of this as God spoke and said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I shall surely deliver you. And then they saw a vision. And then every five minutes when they started to doubt that they saw another vision. Uh, you know, Sometimes it gets absurd when God confirms something to you ten different ways. It gets absurd. And then what's funny is the more confirmation, the more likely that somebody sees you know, a cloud that's shaped differently and says, well, now God's obviously changed His mind. Guys, these were men just like us. No different. And they had in the back of their mind, there's a possibility God's not going to deliver me from this. But I believe He is. And even if he doesn't, I still won't do what the world wants me to do. Where is that attitude? We need to have that. Listen to what the result was with Nebuchadnezzar. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to God, the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him. You know, trust is faith. They faithed in him. And defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than to serve or worship any god except their own god. That's what Jesus said is required of you. If you want to find your life, you must lose it. But most Christians aren't. When it comes to giving up a possession, they can't. Listen to the witness in Nebuchadnezzar. Therefore I decree that people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses turned into piles of rubble, for no other God can save in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to the providence of Babylon. In every case, they did what the world said couldn't be done. And not only did they succeed with God, they saved people's lives. They were a great witness and they were promoted to boot in all three instances. So this ought to at the very least encourage us that the next time you're in a position where you think, oh, this can't be done, but God seems to be encouraging you to do it. And then all of the people around you say, oh, no, you ought not do that. Just go with the flow. Just let's give you some practical advice. If you can't afford that quite that thing, then just don't do it. Because what happens if God does it? And on and on. We need to sometimes just take the attitude that says, hey, know this, O king. Even if God doesn't deliver me from the flames, I still will not serve you. You need to recognize the voices that are working against your faith regardless of the source. The devil's most effective using people that are closest to you. It's always that way. It's never been any different. That's why Judas betrayed Jesus with a kiss. Now, that didn't make anybody bad people. It makes us all able to be used. Peter was just like Judas. And he was a great apostle. Same time Jesus says, man, you're blessed. Another time, not, what seems like a few minutes later, he says, get behind me, Satan. So don't be surprised when people that are filled with the Spirit of God that otherwise love you discourage you about the things God told you to do. You need to make up your mind. You need to tell the devil, know this, O devil, that may be true, but nevertheless, I still will not serve you. I'm doing what God told me to do. That needs to be our attitude. Nebuchadnezzar goes so far with this that he says, hey man, Anybody doesn't love their God, cut them to pieces. You know, make their house a pile of rubble. Well, he still doesn't quite have it. It's okay. Because Daniel's built the kind of reputation with him that God's going to use Daniel to say, hey, hey Neb, you're going to become an animal for seven years, okay? Is that all right with you? Because God's going to do that. And it happened. And then later Daniel comes and interprets handwriting on the wall. And then David sees these futuristic visions that are the most accurate portrayals that any prophet was ever given from his day or since about the coming of Christ. You know, 
All because these people refused to conform to the world's way. All because they were certain God's way would work even when the world said it wouldn't. All because they believed that God revealed His mysteries to them and it was their job to reveal them to other people. All because these people saw an opportunity in the sentence of death. An opportunity that when they suffered, for God to be glorified. That needs to be our attitude. That needs to be our our banner, our cry. Inside you, something needs to rise up in these situations to be like-minded. That's how we accomplish great things for God. That's the carrot. The stick is, if you're not willing to do these things, the Bible says you're not worthy of the kingdom of God. And it doesn't matter how long you sit and study. Pharisees did that. You are not worthy of the kingdom of God if you will not do these things. Now, He's merciful, but you do have to get there. He's not merciful to the point of being a fool. Don't be, don't be fooled. God can't be mocked. Let every man be a liar and God be true. Let's stand up. Let's pray and see if we can figure out how to apply these words. You know what? As I listened to the book of Daniel on tape coming here last night, what struck me from this point forward, you know how they refer to Daniel? Daniel, a man in whom is the Spirit of God. These actions prove to the entire Babylonian kingdom that the Spirit of God was in Daniel. You know, we think, oh, us speaking in tongues proves we're Spirit-filled. Not to the world. They just think, you know, you babble. The thing that will prove to people God's Spirit is in you is when they see your life on display and the way of God tested and they see the favor of God on you. When they see you in a position of desperation and God come through for you. But that doesn't happen if you're not willing to get there. Let's pray.